Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. As you may be aware, we're working our way through this lovely book for inspiration called The Four Agreements of Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, we're partway through, and I gave you a little cheat sheet in your program this week. You'll notice the four agreements are actually in there. So for those of you that didn't find time or an interest in buying the book, you can at least uh, catch up and look ahead, if you like, on the four agreements. The thesis, though, of the book is a pretty simple one. It simply is that our life is made up of agreements. Some of them turn into laws, like we agree that we'll drive on the right-hand side of the road here in America. Some of them turn into contracts. Contracts, right? We make an agreement with a boss to have certain benefits and certain pay when we enter a new job. Some of the agreements, though, are less structured. Think of the agreements that a couple has around being together. Um, you know, who's going to do the housekeeping? Who's going to, right? It's like the number of agreements that we have with friends and fellows is staggering. Most of them not even written down. Most of them pure assumptions as to who will do what and who will behave in a certain way, how we are together. They're kind of society agreements, too, that are equally not written down anywhere, like what it is to be a, a good son or what it is to be a, a, an appropriately loving mother, right? We, we have an idea of what those are, but wouldn't it be nice even if the rules were written down somewhere, right? Here is what lo being a loving son is. Do these nine things, <laughs> and no matter what anyone else says, you're a good son. Wouldn't it be nice, right? So, so many of the agreements that uh, exist out there are also what cause our misery. And in fact, that's what Ruiz says is the important thing to remember, that most often when you're feeling trapped or miserable in some way, it's because of one of those agreements. Either you're not imagining that you're living up to some agreement, or perhaps an agreement is more difficult than you think it is. Perhaps it's other people's idea of what you should be and who you should do and who you should be that you're just not. And so the agreement doesn't even fit you. And here you are trying to live out someone else's dream of what the world is like. So Ruiz says one of the ways we can escape from this uh, difficulty around agreements, believe it or not, is to pick up four new ones. And so this month, each Sunday, we're working on one of these four agreements. And, and for those of you who have been paying attention, <laughs> I was a little slow to this too. These four agreements actually replace whole swaths of other agreements that we tend to have in our life. So by, by taking on these four new ones, it's not like having to be aware of something new. It's more like we get to breathe easy and let go of a whole bunch of agreements that we already made. Today's agreement is a simple one. Don't make assumptions. And I think the best way to give an example of this is uh, a joke I found. <laughs> So Billy was treated to his very first symphony concert ever. His mother tried her best to describe things ahead of time so that he wouldn't be taken by surprise. She described the instruments, how the conductor would stand, how he would direct the orchestra, how people would be seated. She described about being quiet and that there would be a break for restrooms and you know all the things that you would want to tell a child before going to something completely unfamiliar. 
What she didn't know was that there would be an operatic soloist singing with the orchestra that night. And so halfway through the concert and after a particularly powerful aria, Billy whispered to his mother, Mommy, why does the man, keeping his sh- why does the man keep shaking his stick at the big lady? Well, hush, honey, she replied. He's not shaking his stick. He's directing her. But you know, Billy wasn't really convinced. And so a couple minutes later, he leaned over again. Well, then why, he said, does she scream every time he does it? Well, you've maybe been there if you've been to your first opera as a child. And and so let's talk about this idea of not making assumptions. What assumptions were at play, right? First of all, that Billy knew what singing was, right? So Billy probably had only been exposed to maybe singing in church or, or nursery rhyme singing or whatever. And so here he is exposed to, you know, some big aria with, from an opera singer. He may not have even known that that was musical, right? It might have seemed like just crazy noise to him, like screaming. Likewise, what's another assumption, right? What is it when someone does this to you? Yeah, someone's mad at you, right? So just because you put a baton on the end of it, didn't he have every right to assume that the conductor was shaming that poor woman and that she was screaming because of it? Do you see the assumptions, without even thinking about it, the assumptions that we can make about all kinds of things in our everyday life? And to Billy's credit, right, he was pushing a little bit. He wanted to understand more of it. He wanted to get a feeling for what's really going on. Really? It's okay for that man to shake the stick at her? Really? Out in public? And so he was kind of doing the right thing about trying to find out what's going on so that there weren't so many assumptions. But I want to ask you, in a more personal way, have you made some assumptions that were really disastrous in your life? I think it's pretty common, and I want to relate a story that happened to me from my years of supervising at the telephone company. So um, after I'd been a supervisor for a few years, they put me in charge of one of the units there that gets all the first-time employees in. I think they figured I was kind of one of those kind father figures or something. I don't know. I got to tell you, though, it's like I got to see every 18-year-old that wanted to enter into the phone company that existed, put them through their initial training and got them situated at a desk and, and those kind of things. And it was sort of an ongoing sea of people because as they got proficient, right, they would get promotions and, and go out. And so to me, it was always, okay, what 18 or 19-year-old am I training this week? And it was kind of fun. I enjoyed it. But enter Fred at age age 45. It's like he was twice as, well, other than me, he was twice as old as anyone else in his training class. And I got to tell you, Fred set up his desk and it stuck out. You'd walk into the room and everyone's desk was pretty low key. And here was just an enormous pile of stuff. He had photos of his family. He had little troll dolls. He had little fans and pictures of some of his superhero friends. And, uh, and it was just like, whoa, there's Fred's desk. Do you know what I mean? And to top it off, he looked a little different, too. He dressed, you know, like 10 years earlier than most people. Do you know, kind of, do you know what I mean? It's like when we're wearing one kind of clothes, you can see someone kind of living in the past because they're kind of look like they're from, 
Well, you know what I mean. And then I gotta say, the most different thing about Fred is he wouldn't actually look at you. There was something kind of awkwardly social about him, and he would tend to look kind of over your shoulder. And so what happened, I noticed right away, people would treat him differently between looking a little different, behaving a little different, having the desk that stuck out, and this, this kind of looking over your shoulder. People kind of treated him like he was dumb. People, I think because he wasn't looking them in the eye, people thought, well, maybe he's not getting what I'm saying. I even noticed people talking louder to him as though he was hearing impaired, like somehow by talking louder that that would get their point across when, when who's to say their point wasn't getting across entirely. And what I noticed after being there with, with Fred in my unit, after he was trained and, and fine on his desk and doing a good job, is that people didn't want to be on projects with him. When a, when a group project would come up, I actually had people come up to me and say, Larry, um, I'm willing to work on this project and put in the extra time and get some overtime, but not if Fred's going to be on it. And I thought, how mean, how cruel. I mean, I can see the difference, but what's going on here? And so I began to observe, first of all, Fred was a good employee. He actually was making all of his benchmarks and some. And so we, uh, and, and I find this next part of the story really kind of touches my heart. It makes me sad a little. We had to have office meetings around it being okay for Fred to be different. People were making assumptions that because he was socialized a little differently and didn't show up the way that everyone else did, that there was something wrong with him, that he was um, not able to keep up or that he wouldn't be a good partner to work on a project or, or that because he looked different and behaved a little differently, that he wouldn't be fun to be with or interesting to be with. And we actually, as a team, and this, I think this is just sad that the supervisor had to say, you know, we're having a meeting about Fred today when the meeting was really not about Fred. There wasn't anything wrong with Fred. The meeting was about everybody else treating him decently. Let's fast forward the life of Fred at the telephone company about a year and a half. Do you know what happened? People actually became to love Fred. And there were some people around the office about a year and a half later that were actually very, very protective of him. They noticed that he was different. They knew he was a good employee. They actually knew he was kind of a nice guy to be around. And so it took, but it took them like over a year for this to sink in to get over what? Their initial assumptions about him based on what? A first impression. How often do you think we do that? How often do you think we summarize someone new that we've met by the way they look, by the car they drive, by what part of town they live in, by the color of their skin, by how much money that we imagine they have based on maybe where they go out to eat or, or what clothes they wear, right? And it's not that making, um, 
How do I want to say this? It's not that making some decisions aren't important in our life, right? It's important to know when someone is open and, and available and we might want to invite them into our lives in, in a friendship kind of way, right? We make decisions like that. It's appropriate that we make decisions like that. But when we do it and that's the end of it, here's where we get in trouble. So often our first impressions, we try to actually defend as though somehow in one second we can summarize up a whole person and by gosh, I'm going to stick to it. Who cares if it turns out that Fred has a university degree, which he did? Who cares if Fred has actually won awards at his last job for productivity? Who cares if Fred is here at age 40, not because it took him 40 years to become employed, but because he got laid off, right? It's like, who cares about the truth? I'm just going to paint him into a corner as a socially inept person that I don't want to have on the team. How often do we hold on to those first impressions when the truth ends up to be something quite, quite different? Don Miguel Ruiz says this is the trouble. It isn't that we make an assumption or that we make up a, a story about someone. The trouble is when we start defending it, when in the face of new information, we don't even change our idea of someone. And so that's one of the ways or, or one of the things that we need to do around assumptions is we need to be able to say they're fluid, that the ideas we have about ourselves, about other people, about situations, that time changes, people change. And, and sometimes people don't change. It's just my opinion of them, my idea of them, my reaction to them that gets to change over time. How willing are we to actually reevaluate our own ideas, our own impressions about other people, other situations, other ways of being? Ruiz says that it is our uh, assumptions that get us into trouble. We'll make assumptions about what people are like that we haven't even met based on what other people tell us. We make assumptions about places that we haven't been to. We make assumptions about the taste of food by the way it looks. We recently took uh, our, our nephews and niece to a Thai restaurant, which they hadn't really eaten Thai food before. And so uh, Daniel ordered for the family, which is something um, that's interesting in itself. But anyway, <laughs> the food comes, and you should see these teenage children. They're like this. <laughs> oh, that looks squibby. <laughs> and of course, the food was lovely. And when we finally talked them into sampling some of it, they actually enjoyed it. But how often do we do that? Well, I'm not going to like that. I'll hate that movie. It has so and so in it. Do you know what I mean? We make assumptions about things we know zero about and then start even defending those. Okay, the next thing though I want to talk about is sometimes we make assumptions thinking it's for our benefit and on the surface it sounds like it's for our benefit. And I want to talk about how that can diminish actually our enjoyment of life. And I think the best way to talk about this one is to tell you about my seventh birthday party. It'll, it'll connect, I swear it will. It may, it may take a minute, but when I was seven, we lived about three blocks from the fairgrounds. And, uh, and, uh, and so that was you know fun and interesting, but I remember on my seventh birthday party, it really was like any other 
kid's birthday party. I mean, there was cake, and there was probably half a dozen kids there, and a couple moms putting it on, and there were parties, and you know, and whatever. And suddenly, at the end of the party, the two moms trooped the kids down the street to the fairgrounds, and there were pony rides. Now, I gotta tell you, I'd never been on a horse before, and the thought that somehow, I mean, in my little head, it was like they'd arranged the whole fairgrounds for me, right? I mean, probably the ponies were just there, I guess is what I'm saying, and maybe it didn't, wasn't in reality all that special, but to me, it was magical. We got to ride ponies, and we took turns, and there was a fellow there telling us about the horses, and we got to pet some of the big horses at the fairgrounds, and and oh my gosh, I didn't want to go home. It was one of the most magical days of my life. Okay, so a good thing, right? Yeah, thank you, Suki. Suki just said, until the next year. <laughs> we begin making assumptions about how life should be or could be or will be, of course, based on what's already happened to us. And I gotta tell you, it was quite a few more years before I enjoyed a birthday party again, because I was always measuring it to that standard of excitement, if you will. And I would say that this outpictures, even in a more powerful way, who people who believe that their past has already happened. Have you met people who say, oh, it was in my 20s that life was really good? Or, or people will talk about the good old days, you know, oh, things are so expensive now. I remember the good old days when we could fill up the tank of gas and just drive anywhere for $5. Well, of course, our salaries weren't what they were then either, but let's forget about that part. Let's play up the, the good old days, how sweet it was when I did this or people were like that. Well, what about tomorrow? What about today? Talking about the good old days, I think is just an excuse for diminishing what you could feel right now. The good old days in my life haven't happened yet. I've, and I say that with some confidence. Those of you who know me at all, I think will allow that I'm perfectly capable of having my best days still to come. And I think that's true for anyone at any age. Any of us can embark upon our absolutely best days if we don't let the pony effect take over. <laughs> right? The, the pony effect is, no, I've already had my best birthday party. The pony effect is, no, my first husband was the one for me, and he died, and I'll never have another one that loves me as much as him. The pony effect is making the assumption that you can't do something, you can't experience something, you can't be or have a certain thing, because you already did that. You, you already had the best. You, you already were and did as good as it gets, and so now I'm just a worn out, sad person. It's crazy, don't do that. Don't make the assumption that the best has already happened. The best can always be on the horizon. The best can always be right here. I'm having a great day. Don't make assumptions about your past. Don't make assumptions about other people. And finally, I wanna talk just a little bit about the idea of assumptions around things that we do know. So, so Billy, in the joke, made some assumptions about 
singing that he didn't know anything about, right? He gets off with the out of jail free card because he's never been to the concert before. How often though do we make assumptions about other, be, other people and other events because we do know about it, or at least we think we know about it. And in this case, it's the, oh, well, I know what she's thinking. It's the case of, well, I know what my friend would want to do. It's the case of, oh, well, last time this happened, it was miserable, so I'm not even going to do that. It's the idea of the past is simply going to repeat itself, so I'm not going to take a chance on it. I'm not going to take a chance on talking honestly with my spouse because last time that happened, we fought for four days. So just not going to do it. We're not going to do a road trip this year. Last time we did a vacation that was a road trip, uh, we had crying babies. We had an overheated car. We had a break. I'm just not going to do it. Here's someone crying. Last time I tried to help someone who was crying, they told me to back off. It was none of my business. I'm just not going to help them. Oh my gosh, here's a car accident, you know? The last time I tried to help someone uh, uh, in a car accident, they said that 911 had already been called and I was wasting my time. So I just won't bother with that anymore. Do you see how we think we know enough information to move forward, but what we're really doing is just saying, what happened that I didn't enjoy will repeat itself. What happened that didn't work out is surely to be the case here. And it isn't. We haven't found out the current information to see if it's even true. So what's the antidote for all of these assumptions? Believe it or not, it's very simple. It's asking and finding out. <laughs> right? All of the assumptions that we made. Billy could, I mean, if Billy had thought ahead, he could have asked his mom, Mom, is that singing or is she screaming? Right? <laughs> Billy could have said, is he shaming her with that stick or is he conducting her? Any of the cases where we make assumptions, where we prove ourselves wrong, we could have with Fred, right? I could, if I would have had the sensitivity about interacting with people that I have today, I could have gone right up to Fred, my employee, and I could have said, Fred, it, just an observation, when we talk together, you kind of look over my shoulder. Uh, could we talk about that for a minute? Is that, you know, was that how you were raised? And not in an embarrassing way, but to actually get more information about it. And what I know about me right now is I could do that in a loving and probably even charming way, and it would have all been fine, right? <laughs> right. So let us ask questions. Let us find out what's really going on before we make assumptions. Let's at least have our assumptions be informed ones. Let's at least move forward with a plan that has a chance of not just wrecking havoc with our, with our friends and our families based on our own idea of how everything should fall out. Let's ask the questions, even, even if it's something we already know the answer to, even if we think our friend will react a certain way. Let's imagine that maybe they wouldn't. Let's imagine that even if we really don't generally like movies with Adam Sandler, that there could be one that I actually might like. <laughs> because if I limit myself to always assuming that what I don't like I'll never like, 
I never get to like more things, right? It's the, it's the case of going to the wonderful uh, restaurant and only ever ordering one thing. And I know I'm talking to a few of you in this room, right? You're already starting to smile and laugh at me a little bit. So, so my friend Daniel and I, well, in fact, I already talked about the, uh, my partner Daniel and I, I already talked about the Thai food restaurant. So what I noticed was, we've been going there for years, is I always order um, Pad Siu, and he always gets the Ramayama Garden. It's like, that's, that's it. It's like they only make two things. So, so last year, last year we decided, no, we're going to work through the menu. And we have. And do you know what? With two exceptions, everything on the menu there is as absolutely as good as the Pad Siu and the Ramayama Garden. They don't hardly make anything bad. There was only two things that we didn't like, and now we've gone through the whole menu. Do you see how by not making assumptions, your life can be bizarrely enriched? You get to try new things. You get to ask, well, yeah, and you get to have new Thai food. Yes, it's true. So, so let us be more adventuresome. Let's ask questions, right? That's another thing I discovered at restaurants. If you ask questions, you'll actually know what you're going to be eating. A funny thing, right? <laughs> Have you ever noticed people ordering something at a restaurant and then they're unhappy with it when it comes? And it isn't that what came wasn't what was gonna come, right? They could have just asked, is there egg in this? Is there soy sauce in this? Is this the wide noodles or, or the narrow noodles? Instead, it's like, oh, it has the narrow noodles in it. <laughs> so let us ask questions. It's the antidote, believe it or not, to most of our problems. And in particular, let's ask questions of the people that we really care about. How are you feeling today? Did that upset you? When she did this thing, did you feel betrayed? Did you feel okay with it? What's going on with you right now? Let's talk a little bit about how you felt about the road trip. Let us imagine what would happen. Do you know what I mean? How often do we ask questions really with the sense of, of troubleshooting a little bit what's going on in our own relationships? Or how often do we kind of fold our arms and say, oh, she's just poopy whenever we talk about this subject. You, can, you just can't talk about religion with her. Yeah, we do that. We absolutely do that. Well, I'm going to close today with just the briefest summary. My summary is not making assumptions means to clarify what we don't know, and it also means to clarify what we think we know. Because <laughs> very often, even when we think we know what it's going to be or how it should turn out or what someone's thinking, we don't really know. So let's ask for clarifying questions and, and get answers around what we don't know and what we do know. And then, and finally, most important, if you in your wildest dreams think you'll all have it figured out ahead of time, no matter how many questions you ask, no matter how much clarifying material you read or research on the internet or whatever, let us be open to just life's surprises as well. Let us recognize that we don't have to have it figured out to actually crazily love it. Let us imagine that when things don't go our way, it could mean that something better is going to happen, not something that will disrupt or harm us. Let us imagine that the universe is here to provide delight, even in its chaos, 
even in the universe's chaos and turmoil, let us be open to the fact that we can benefit from it, that life can be good in it, that the unexpected turn of events could be delightful. I'm going to close with a, a quote from Don Miguel Ruiz and, uh, and a prayer. He says, the way to keep yourself from making assumptions is simply to ask questions. Make sure the communication is clear. If you don't understand, of course, ask. Have the courage to ask questions until you are clear as you can be. And even then, do not assume that you know there is all there is to know about a given situation. Also, find your voice and ask for what you want. Everybody has the right to tell you no or to tell you yes, but you always have the right to ask for what you wish. The day you stop making assumptions, you will communicate cleanly and clearly. For once, you can be free of emotional poison for others. Without making assumptions, your word can become impeccable. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence. There is one life and one joy. And, and what I know, because it spans the universe, because it is the universe, that it also means me, that my life is part of the one life, that the love I experience is part of divine love, that truly each one of us is part and parcel of God itself, a, a physical manifestation, each of us, of a divine portion of God. And because of this, because of this, I know that when we interact with other people, it's God talking with God, and that the ability to ask questions and have things clarified is, is no more than God being kind to itself. And the ability to avoid assumptions is no more than God being able to more fully enjoy itself, to be fully present for what is there, not what we assume to be there. And so for each person in this room, I, I accept that there perhaps is a willingness to move forward in this idea of dropping expectations and assumptions, to begin clarifying our own lives, to begin this process of seeing more clearly, asking questions, and enjoying truly what is right in front of us. And for this, I am grateful. I'm grateful for the power and presence of God as it shows up every day in my life, grateful for life itself. And so I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law. I let it be, and together we all say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.com. Dot us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.